Amen. Amen. I am so grateful for you all being here today. It seems as if this message today, which is actually a continuation of a sermon series that we started a few weeks ago, entitled Living the Good Life. Living the Good Life. And I find it ironic that the uh, that after receiving the applause of these people in here, our first sermon in this series was on how to receive the applause of heaven. Yeah, because there's a difference. And I dare say that both of our honorees who are present today, all three of them really, made sure to tell us that if you seek first the applause of heaven, then the applause of man is sure to follow, is likely to follow. But even if man can't realize or appreciate how important it is what you do, just receiving the applause of heaven ought to be thanks enough for you. If you know you're living in the way that God wants you to live, then that's celebration enough for you. We're using Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as our foundation for these messages. After we did two parts of receiving the applause of heaven, and we talked about how God characterizes us and tells us we are to behave. He tells us first thing we need to do is learn how to be a little bit more salty. All right? Yeah, oh yeah, we got to learn how to be a little bit more salty because he tells us that we are salt. And then he admonishes us, Jesus admonishes us not to live our life under a bushel. Got to let folk know where we stand. And that starts in our house and in our community. And tonight, Jesus continues in his teaching. And he gives us some directions on how to live among one another. And this is, I think, perhaps one of the more crucial messages in Jesus' dialogue with those disciples who were sitting there. This is crucial, I think. And it's so very timely for where we are right now. So very timely. And if you've got your Bibles with you, then, and then I'd ask you to go turn to chapter, chapter 5 of Matthew. Jesus, and, and as we often instruct, when you get down to 21, verse 21, Jesus instructs, and when you see the words in red, if you've got a red-letter Bible, then you know those are Jesus' words. He's talking. Those are important. Those are quotes. And Jesus gives a simple statement, makes a simple statement to his, those who are listening. He said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. 
And then he says, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, Jesus continued, that whosoever is, watch this, and underline this word, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. My Lord. Jesus, in his teaching, I'm going to just stop reading, reading right there. We'll get to the rest of it. But Jesus, in his teaching, is guiding his disciples to a principle that doesn't make sense by earthly standards. If you will, Jesus is saying that while we know Moses was given the commandment in the days of old, thou shall not kill directly from the Lord. But Jesus came to tell folk that there is something that is equally as dangerous and deserves as much punishment from heaven's point of view as killing somebody. And he says that that simple thing is anger. Anger. It's not going to sit well with you. Uh, how many of you like me? are part of the I get mad at the drive-in wonder too much club. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Last night. <laughs> Let me go ahead and put that on that. Last night. <laughs> yes, there are just some flashpoints in our community, it seems, and we are struggling in the areas of customer service these days. Can I get a witness? <laughs> yeah, no, we're struggling when it comes to taking care of folk. And it is bringing all sorts of meanness and anger out of us, all for some french fries. <laughs> Hot french fries with a little salt. There's a story that's told of a woman who was about to board a plane, and before she got on the plane, she stopped by the, the little store in the airport to buy something. She was feeling, as they say, a little peaky. So she bought some cookies. And then she had to rush to get on her plane. And so she did, and she set her cookies down, opened them. And as she was con continuing to get herself adjusted in her seat on the airplane, she heard a little rustling sound. She looked around, and the guy sitting in the seat next to her was helping himself to a cookie. She didn't say anything. She put her seatbelt on. And Went ahead and got a cookie, and a few seconds later, she hears the paper rustling again. 
trying to contain ourselves. You know, this dude ain't got some nerve. So he gets another cookie. Doesn't say anything. She looks over at him and he just smiles. And we get down to the last cookie in the package. And she got her teeth gripped because she's about to go off on this man. And just as she's about to reach to get the last cookie, he reaches over and breaks the cookie in half and pushes the cookie towards her. It's all she can do not to say anything. She sits there fuming for the rest of the flight. Just doesn't know how to contain herself. Won't even look at this man. Flight lands. She deplanes. And is going through and she fishes in her purse for her phone so she can see what her next move is going to be. And lo and behold, her hand comes across her cookies. Many times, we are angry at things and have the wrong perception of what has happened. She's angry at someone who is sharing his cookies with her. He thought it not robbery to share even the last of his cookies with her. He said nothing and she's mad with a whole pack of cookies in her purse. <laughs> How many times, don't raise your hand, how many times have you found yourself similarly situated where you've been mad at something and wrong at the same time? Thank God she was just talking about cookies. But how many of y'all know today that folk get killed over cookies? Yeah, and on the way to jail, they put their hand down in their pocket and realize I got my cookies. Situations can spin so quickly. And because we have so little patience in dealing with our circumstances, because we go from zero to 100, with hardly anything in between, we make life-altering decisions on temporary circumstances, on things that are absolutely inconsequential. We change the very trajectory of our lives over nothing. Over nothing. I'm not going to even insult you by telling you all the things we hear that cause folk to harm other people. It is insane what people will do. But there is a culprit, and Jesus, all these many years ago, 
identifies the true culprit of our problem. It's our inability to control this core emotion, anger. If we can learn and teach our children to control their anger, they can hold, the Bible says, a fortress. A fortress. But it is something that must be taught. You don't have to have a baby long enough, I mean uh, long, to realize that there's something innate in us that makes us not want to have anything taken from us. A, a toddler, you give them a pacifier. You can't even get nothing out of a pacifier. I mean, it's just, it is the greatest deception ever made for a baby. <laughs> it's nothing. And yet, if you pluck it from them, they will fall out, hollering. But how many of us grown folk have pacifiers that even the threat of somebody taking from you? Some of them call, some of us call them cars, <laughs> houses, jobs, somebody threatening to take it away from you. And you are upset to the point that you want to harm someone. Jesus offers a reminder first. He puts us in the context. He said, look, God has already told us that killing someone brings the ultimate penalty. And that penalty in our society is that if you kill someone, according to God's law, you will be killed. That's what the Bible says. It brings that kind of punishment. Now, I know we live in a complicated society with a whole lot of ideas, and not everybody believes the Bible to be the ultimate truth. And so they don't believe that someone who harms another person such that their life is killed, is taken, should be put to death. We're not here to debate that. That's not the issue. I wouldn't go on record talking about that anyway. All right? Even though my jurisdiction won't allow me to deal with somebody's life, but I can deprive somebody of their freedom. And I can tell you, it's hard depriving somebody of their freedom. Oh, yeah. It's hard. And I've never been in a jurisdiction on my job where I had to had the opportunity or the, the, the requirement to deprive someone of their life. I can only imagine how difficult it is under some circumstances to tell somebody, you're going to stay in jail for the rest of your natural life. The rest of your natural life is where you won't be around people. That's a hard thing. You sit in the lazy boy at, at your house. And you pronounce judgment on folk all the time on what they ought to get and how, how they ought to live. But actually having to do it and then to say that someone is going to lose their life is a very difficult position, position. So much so that now members of juries that make those decisions have to go through therapy when they come off jury duty. 
because of what they've witnessed, what they've had to do, they come out with PTSD. That's how difficult it is to make these decisions. Can I tell you, if you want to give your child, your family, yourself a gift, learn how to control your anger. Teach them how to control their anger. Teach them to be patient. I've seen some, I saw one this week, President of the United States, standing up in front of the most important deliberative body in the world, the Congress of the United States, delivering remarks to all of them, Senate and House together, and he makes a statement, and somebody, another elected official, in the back of the room, Steve, hollers out, you are a liar. And I'm so glad Joe Biden's middle name ain't Donnell. <laughs> I'm so glad he's saved. Because Donnell... <laughs> might have said something just a little bit different. Back to her. So, Jesus reminds us about the commandment. And he tells us there's a penalty for violating that commandment. And the penalty is, according to 21b of that passage, that whosoever violates the command not to kill shall be guilty or in danger of the judgment. Murder requires murder, all right? And I think most of us would agree that that's a serious offense. But Jesus also gives us, and this is what's important, the principle to the underlying law. He doesn't just give us a law and say, now, here you have it. He said, let me tell you why God said this to you. He says that the Bible teaches us this exact rule. But the reason why he, the, God gives us this is because he never wants us to get to that place. He wants us to control the underlying actions that bring us to the point of harming someone to the point that we take their lives. And that's when Jesus Christ continues in his teaching because above all else, Jesus Christ was a teacher. He came to teach people how to live. The reason why this sermon series is entitled Living the Good Life is because Jesus takes this very important sermon and he teaches folk how to live now so that you can live forever later. And he says, if you want to live appropriately now, you must control your temper. You must control your temper. I say to you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. I'm not going to ask you, because I know the answer. How many of you have ever been uh, mad at your sibling? Everybody. Everybody seemed like siblings were made to fight by someone. And even not just siblings, cousins. How many children have ever been mad at their mama? Don't raise your hand. 
Yeah. Don't, don't raise your hand. She watching. She watching. Phone privileges on the line. <laughs> yes. But the inability to control your temper, becoming angry with a brother, also has consequences. Most of the time, it's the reaction to the incident that gets you in trouble. Case in point, case in point, coaches in here. Yeah, most of the time, you don't even see the one on the field that threw the first punch. The ref turns around every time and just catches you reacting to getting hit in the mouth. And that's when the consequence comes in. Now, because we got instant replay, everybody in the stadium can see that you've been hit first. But in Little League, they don't have no instant replay. <laughs> yeah, many times, you just gotta get, uh, gotta get the penalty. I'm not saying that there aren't times in our lives when we shouldn't get angry about things. There really are times in our lives when we ought to be angry. But what Jesus is saying is, even in our anger, there's a way we need to learn how to express it. There's some righteous indignation. God is angry at us when we sin. God is angry at us when we mistreat one another. God is angry with us when we don't use the resources he's given us appropriately. God is angry with us when he has blessed us with somebody and we treat them like they're nobody. God is angry. And so that's an indication it's okay for us to be upset about things as well. But how you deal with it becomes the core root of this message. Usually the first stage in the process is simply understanding what's going on. Having a clear picture of what's happening. Did I put my cookies in my pocketbook? She never even thought. But that could be a possibility. And yet, that would have solved the whole problem if she had simply looked in her purse. She would not have spent an entire flight, however long it was, upset. And how many of y'all know like me, the longer you fly, the madder you get. Yeah, you sitting up there saying, I know I had six cookies. But all I got was two and a half, or maybe. You're thinking that I should have had something that I've been deprived of. And because of that, I'm going to be upset. I want you to know that in the time that Jesus was teaching, he said, if you are angry, under this 20, uh, verse 22, if you are angry, he says, you're in danger of having to go before the judgment. At the time, we have 12 members of our jury in circuit court and district court. But at the time in the Sanhedrin, there were 23 members who sat on the jury. And you'd have to go in front of them and they would have to pass judgment on you. Jesus taught a very valuable lesson to some men who caught a woman who was involved in some activity that she should not have been involved in. And they caught her and they were going to exact punishment on this woman right away. They weren't going to give her a chance to answer for herself because the woman didn't have a voice at that time. They were simply going to harm her physically. They were going to stone her to death. Jesus came into the middle of the scene and he reminded them what I've come to remind you of. He said, you can throw this stone at this woman if you don't have any sin yourself. 
In fact, he said, King James Version said, let he without sin throw the first stone at him. And after a few minutes, none of the men were there. Because he made them do what I'm asking you today to, to do today. Stop. Think about yourself under those same circumstances and see if you have been given grace that you haven't considered. And if you've been given the grace that you haven't considered, then you need to also do likewise to somebody else. And in that scene, before long, nobody was standing there pointing the finger at that woman because all of them realized that they too had been wrong. What becomes the most dangerous tool in the problem, I mean, tool in the equation when it comes to anger? Your tongue. What you say. And sometimes, sometimes, one, it's not even what you say, it's just how you say it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Yeah, yeah, come on, sit on the seat with me. Yeah. I'm guilty. Because sometimes I'm not, e I'm not even angry. I just sound like I am. I'm not even mad. And then I find myself defending how I sound. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm not mad. You know, I'm, but your tone matters. You know, when people come in, good morning. Hey, baby. <laughs> you had some sour milk in your cereal or something. It's not even what you say. It's how you say it that creates the whole controversy surrounding things. There's a danger in your tongue, and the danger in the tongue can lead to dangerous actions, and those actions can lead to all sorts of bad consequences. Now, there are two ways that there can be a danger in the tongue. First of all, you can slander someone. That means you can talk about them. All right? You can talk about them. Jesus calls it a word of slander. So whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. Raka is a word that does not translate well from its original meaning. But what it really means, and y'all are going to be mad when I say this because we use these terms too loosely. What it really means is that you are calling somebody empty. Yeah, an idiot. An idiot. And so scripture is saying, if you disrespect someone, by calling them an empty vessel. You disrespect their character by doing that. Then you are in danger because you've insulted their character of being brought before the council. In other words, you're affecting my credibility and my reputation so much that you say I'm nothing, I don't know anything, then I'll bring you before the council to protect my reputation. But how many times do we hurt folks' reputation? by the words we say or type or whatever. Because I want you to know, in 2023, it ain't just what comes off your tongue, it's what comes off your fingers as well. Yeah, when you texting, you slandering somebody. When you calling somebody, as we say, out of their name, you're creating problems for them. And too many of our problems in our community today jump off, not because people are together, 
but because they are on social media. Yeah, not just young folk either. Adults do the same thing. We've got to learn how to be good stewards of our tongues. We can't slander people. We can't disrespect them. Uh, in fact, James said, for whosoever shall keep the whole law. In other words, you might be saying some good stuff about them, but in the end, you got to slide in something that's a deed. Jesus says you can't treat people like this because how many of you know that one of the most important things you have is your reputation. And when someone starts to impugn your reputation, that creates problems for you. And the second thing is you, you can slander them, and you can also, um, according to the scripture, says, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. When I was in the second grade, Ms. Conrad, Ms. Conrad, our teacher, scared me to death. Scared me. I'd never forgotten. Jackson Elementary School. She came in. This is when teachers used to talk about the Bible all the time. You know, it's almost like they were all partially teachers and partially Sunday school teachers all the time in class. And you know, it's like we were having Bible study all the time because we had a different context. And she said, one of the little boys in the class, they were tussling, and and the other one, stop, fool! Woo! It was as if every book in the class shut at the same time. And she said, don't you ever say that again. Don't you ever call someone a fool. If you call someone a fool, you're going to hell. Oh, my Lord. I'm in the second grade and you said somebody going to hell. I was scared the rest of the day. I didn't even call the boy a fool. I have never forgotten. This is the scripture she was talking about. I was grown. I was preaching. Before I realized, I said, this is the scripture. <laughs> this is the scripture Miss Conrad was talking about. I wish she had told me it was in the Bible then. Jesus says that if you call someone a fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. To call someone a fool let me put it into the cultural context of Jesus' day. If you call someone a fool in that day, that was saying that they are senseless and godless. And godless, which means they are not believers. And the scripture tells us plainly that he who does not believe that there is a God is in danger of hellfire. All right, because the beginning of knowledge starts with the beginning of knowing that God is. That's what she was trying to say. She didn't teach the whole lesson. And so I've walked around all these years afraid, and I came to tell you, you shouldn't be walking around calling people a fool. And we don't mean the same thing in this context, and we let fool come out of our mouths too much. Now, what we're really saying most of the time when somebody refers to another person as a fool, well, you're a fool. That means you are silly. You act crazy. All right? But can I tell you about words? Silly, the etymology of the word silly when it first came out meant you were extremely religious because silly recognized people who walked around in religious garb. And over time, silly has come to be transliterated to not mean someone who is overly religious, but somebody who is irreligious and doesn't take care of his business. Words have power. You ought to know what words mean. When you call someone a fool, 
you're disrespecting them by any means, and it comes up too much and too often in our words. And the scripture says, just don't disrespect people like that. Because you create problems for yourself. On the surface, it doesn't seem to be that bad when you talk to somebody like that. But I'm here to tell you, you're laying the foundation for problems down the road. So God reminds us of the commandment. Then God uh, reveals the underlying principle to us. And then God does what uh, Jesus does what he always has done. And that teaches us how we ought to live so that we avoid this. So Jesus tells us the commandment. Jesus teaches us the underlying principle, and then he tells us, but live like this. And the first thing he says is, first thing you need to do is be sensitive to other people. Let me read it for you. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, that means you're already a believer. You already know enough to bring something to the Lord like we did this morning. And there you get to the altar, and you remember that you have done something or you have a problem with your brother, he says, it's more important that you have a good relationship with your brother than you put something on the altar. Somebody ought to shout on that one now because we think I can be in hell, I, mean, I can be in, in a hellish relationship with all my friends, but as long as I put some money in church, I'm good. God doesn't honor that. God says in order, God tells us and Jesus exemplifies through this teaching that in order for you to have good vertical relationship alright that you also need to have great horizontal relationship and if you don't have good uh, uh, horizontal relationship get that straight before you start trying to get things straight with the Lord leave the altar find your brother square things away with your brother and then come back and give your gift to the Lord. That's the order he says it has to be. Because when you're not sensitive to those relationships, how can you take care of the business that Jesus Christ instructs us to take care of? If you're not sensitive to the relationship with your brother, how can you help strangers? How can you help people you've never met before who also stand in need? And we're required to help those people. In fact, the Bible is so strict, the Bible tells us that we are required to pray for people who don't like us. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You are required to pray for them. Now you think about that. You go think about, I don't know when the last time you had a straight up hater list but whoever was at the top of your hater list and you, when you go into your prayer period, they're at the top of your list, Lord, please bless them. Do you know how hard that is to fall out of your mouth or formulate on your mind? But Jesus tells us this is required of us. Required, not suggested, not suggested, Required, because look what happens when I can pray for folk who are trying to dog me. I'm, if I'm in that space to pray for people who are trying to dog me, look how freeing it is for me. 
I came to tell you this morning, as one who been dogged, I came to tell you that it's hard, but it's doable. How do I know? Because I, I know the man who gave the example. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't discussing crucifixion in principle. He was being crucified. He was on the cross. The nails were in his hand. The nails were in his feet. He had the crown of thorns on his head. And what did he take the time to do? Pray for the folk who put him in that position. Yeah, not theory. He was in the laboratory of dying. He showed us, if I can die like this, you ought to be able to live like this. You ought to be able to tell somebody that you love them even when they don't act lovable. Not only do you have to be sensitive, but come on now, this is the last one. You ain't going to like me on this one. You got to live your life better. Purity. Yeah. Therefore, he said, leave the altar, go your way first, and then be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and give the gift. He says, you have to be pure in your actions, in your life. If you're, but if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, if you're listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then having a right relationship with your brother is something that you're going to do because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to get things straight. If you are in a right relationship with the Lord, you can't really sleep at night if you and your brother don't get along. You can't sleep at night if your household is unsettled. You can't sleep at night because the Holy Spirit is going to always nudge you to straighten it out. I can tell you the three hardest words to say in our language. I am sorry. I'm sorry. Or the other three, I was wrong. You master saying those things. And you'll go a lot further in life. And you'll stop a lot of heartache. Why is it that we wait 20 years to say I'm sorry? For something that we knew we were sorry for 20 years ago. Wasting time and wasting energy. Be sensitive. Live life more purely. And the last thing is you got to be humble. Yeah. Yeah. Agree with your adversary quickly. All right? Somebody says you offended them, apologize quickly. Apologize quickly. Get it over with. Because most of the time that apology is going to diffuse the concern. You're right. I was wrong. I said that out of character. Please forgive me. Because most of the time people are upset, not because of what you did, but because you won't acknowledge what you did. You won't acknowledge it. All right? Jesus said that the efforts that create division in our community create problems. And he's talking about the community of the church. He ain't talking about outside the church. He's talking about in the church. The problems we have in the community of the church come about by not communicating in the church. Simply by not talking to one another. Simply by not having conversations with one another about what is and what isn't. So I came to tell you today, today is Freedom Day. And we ought to know about Freedom Day during this time. If somebody has done something wrong to you, you can go ahead and take the, the steam out of the argument. Just let them know, I forgive you. I forgive you. 
All right? If you have done something wrong to somebody, go ahead, pull your socks up, walk up to them, tell them, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Let's get this over with because we don't have another generation of young folk that we can see that can see us acting the way we are. You think they act this way? Just They act this way because we act this way. We're patterning wrong action to them. Stop blaming them for our conduct. Let them know that we haven't always been the best example. Let them know that we can do better. And then do better. When the question comes up, what about my anger? You tell them, I'm dealing with my anger. You show them that the Lord, me and the Lord are working on my anger. And anybody here that's angry at me for telling you about your anger, pray for me. Because I guarantee you, you can't pray for me and be mad at me at the same time. Oh yeah, not sincerely. Not sincerely. You can't pray for your husband and be mad at him at the same time. Can't pray for your wife. Lord, please bless her. Even though she burned up all my food, please bless her. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I came to tell you today that you don't have to look for to find the example of what's right and wrong. It's right in the word. Jesus Christ has given us the answer. He's shown us how we have to live and what we have to do. What do you do about your anger? That's the question of the day. Give it to the Lord. Anger is sin. And he's good for taking away our sin. In fact, he's already given us the remedy for our sinful state. All he ever wants to do is live in fellowship with us. And so I've come to invite you today to make that, dep the, make that deposit today of giving him your sin. Give him your bad attitude. Stop thinking you deserve more than you do. Yeah, Nothing is supposed to come to us. It's all by the grace of God. I've heard it over and over again today, validated that you got to get up. You got to speak up. You got to work hard. And God will bless you. But you got to lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, you got to learn how to acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, for those of you who are looking for that, that's that scripture. Put it on your mirror in the morning. Wake up and go to work for the Lord. Sit at your desk and work for the Lord. You ain't working for the man, you're working for the Lord. All right? You're not doing your duties for the man, you're doing it for the Lord. You're not helping this customer for your business, you're helping it for the Lord. I came to tell you that he loves you. He died for you. Anybody in here besides me know the Lord died for you? Well, guess what? He died for those folk who were crucifying him too. He died for the ones who had put him on the cross. And yet he stayed there. Could have come down, could have had, he said, a thousand, a legion of angels come and rescue him. But he decided to stay there. And because of that, not just did he die for our sins that day, 
He continues to live for us right now after the resurrection so that we too can have a right to eternal life. And I'm looking forward to looking him in the face and saying, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for, life, for living for me. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for keeping me on this side. I thank you for all those things. While this choir stands and sings a song for us as we lead today, I'm empowered by the highest offices in heaven to extend an invitation to you. And I'm opening the doors to fellowship with you. If you're here today, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. Right now. Come on, y'all.